Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. It's sure nice to see you on this old blustery day. Thank you for coming out. It's, I think it's tremendous power when brothers get together, make a friend. You might even have a divine contact. Somebody may know something you don't know at your table and be able to connect you to someone who can solve a problem. It's always through people God uses to solve problems, always that way. Okay, this morning, as fast as I can, I'm going to challenge your thinking. I know typical men's conferences and stuff are always, you don't love God enough, you don't read your Bible enough, you don't love your wife enough, you chew gum, you don't, you're not this, you're not that. I never wanted to go. That never inspired me at all. I wanted something that would challenge me to want to be better. I might not be as good as I wanted to be, but it would challenge me to elevate my life to some degree. I mean, you know, when guys get up and preach how bad you are, how not loving you are, how much you don't love God, how unholy you are, I thought, well, tell me something I don't know. Yeah. So I'm going to challenge you this morning in another area that you might not have thought about, and it's a bit controversial in the average church, but I hope I can renew your mind if you'll give me time to unwind it. And here's the, here's the topic. Is ambition wrong? Is ambition wrong? Now, it's amazing to me, no one on an Olympic team ever asks that question. If you play for the NFL or the NBA, you never ask is ambition wrong? You wouldn't be there if you were asking that question, right? But in the church, that question is always a significant question. Even in our culture today, outside the church, I hear that question posed in the negative that somehow ambition is wrong. Now, it's strange to me, we admire the people who are the most competitive and the most ambitious in the world. We celebrate them. We aspire to be them. We buy their clothes. Yet somehow we have embraced some false belief that it's not right for us as believers to be ambitious. You know, everybody knows you can't be ambitious or be competitive if you want to be like Jesus because Jesus is chill and not competitive at all. Well, you buckle up, brothers. You just hang in there. So my dilemma is, I believe in Jesus, I want to become like Jesus, but I've been taught that I can't be like Jesus and be ambitious or competitive. I have to be okay with losing. But I hate to lose. Anybody with me in here? I hate. I hate to lose in Monopoly. I hate. I think most believers have given up on the most powerful of human emotions, and that's ambition. You won't achieve anything. You won't change anything. You won't become anything without that one virtue God put in you called ambition. Now, I'll deal with the little negative part of it if you'll give me a minute. So I wanted to destroy the framework in your mind that it's wrong to be ambitious or competitive. Compete, but never compare yourself to others. 
If you're going to be the best, there won't be anybody else you can compare yourself with. So if you're always comparing yourself to other people, you can always make sure you're in a room with people less gifted than you. That way you feel great. You feel better than you really are. That's why pretty girls have less pretty girlfriends. See, against her, I feel beautiful. But you will endanger yourself comparing yourself always with those less than you. You know, if you're, depends on what culture you were born in, what family you came from. If you're always comparing yourself to the lowest level, you'll never achieve anything. You'll always think, well, I'm doing a little better than they are. Well, compared to what? Compared to nothing. So here's the problem. If we're all going to be the same, then we all have to meet at the lowest common denominator. And that's why it will never work. See, if we're all to be the same, nobody can ever allow their greatness to emerge. Now, thank God the ceiling on our talent doesn't have to be the ceiling on our children's talent. I want them to do better than me, go further than me, achieve more than me, become better than me. See, this passage of Scripture I'm about to read gives a false perspective on greatness. Matthew 20, verse 20 through 28, says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, James and John, who were called the sons of thunder. And the sons of thunder asked their mommy to go to Jesus to see if he could negotiate a place of importance at the seat of Jesus, if they could be in the suite with him. Well, so they went with her to Jesus. Now, it never goes well when a parent tries to live vicariously through the talents of their children. So Jesus asked her, what do you want, Mama? She says, grant that my two sons can sit at your right hand and left hand in your kingdom. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they said. And Jesus says, indeed, you will drink from my cup. But to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. It's for those it has been prepared for by my father. So you have to give it to mommy. She believed Jesus had a kingdom worth being a part of. Good mama. And she goes to bat for her two boys. But Jesus is saying, you want a place of greatness? In my kingdom, the level of greatness will be determined by your level of sacrifice. In other words, are you ready to bear the level of sacrifice necessary to have this level of greatness? Good question. See, we look at the best in the world who do the most difficult things in the world, and they make it look easy. They make it look simple. A world-class swimmer makes it look so easy. When you watch the best in the world shoot three-pointers, you think, shoot, that's simple. If you're not a golfer and you watch somebody who is a pro sink those putts uh, from 50 feet or 40 feet on a more regular basis, they make it look easy. And you can't even win at putt-putt. They make it look simple, right? And we think that to be great at anything, it should come easy. So let me suggest that the things that come easy to you are probably not your root of greatness. Your greatness is hidden under the hard work of discipline 
and determination and courage and failure and resolve. And so Jesus is asking, are you ready to take on the level of sacrifice the kind of greatness you want demands? So Jesus is the greatest man who ever lived because he made the greatest sacrifice ever made. In verse 24, same chapter, it says, when the other 10 heard about it, these boys going to Jesus, they were indignant with James and John. They were chapped. They were hot. Ever want to ask a girl out, but you were afraid? And your best friend asked her, and she accepted? And you were indignant with the brother? You know why? We get indignant when somebody else has the guts to get what we wanted, but we didn't go after. These ten disciples were indignant because sitting next to Jesus was what they wanted. Verse 25, but Jesus called them to himself and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. In other words, he's saying, you guys still have a wrong view of greatness. You're measuring greatness against anything or only what you've known. Verse 26, but not so among you. Instead, whoever wants to become great. See, he does not put that in the negative. Whoever wants to become great, let him become a servant. So we create this false division between being a servant and being great. But Jesus didn't say, don't be great. He never said, give up on greatness. He said, whoever wants to be great, right? He said, what I said about servanthood doesn't even qualify if you don't have a desire to be great. Whoever wants to become great. See, we pretend we don't. Well, let me tell you something. I may never achieve it, but I want to. I'd like to be great. Could anybody else kind of join with an amen? I'd like to as well, Rick. See, we aren't supposed to say that. We're just supposed to want it. How stupid. I want it. See, we're supposed to pretend we don't. We think humility is not wanting what we want. And that's not true. So I don't want to be average. I don't want to be in the middle of the pack. I don't want to be runner-up. I don't want to be he plays fourth. I want to be great. May not achieve it all, but I want to be. You see, what I'm trying to get you to see the fact there is nothing wrong. In fact, what's wrong is that we don't want to be. So we live mediocre. We live average. I don't want to be the last one in the dog pack smelling the behind of the dog in front of me. I want to be up in the front of the pack, see? So I'm, I hope many of you say in your heart, I want to be great. Some people without God aspire to be great, and we admire them. We celebrate them. But we think that we've laid greatness on the altar of faith. But it was never the sacrifice God called us to make. He called us to give up on our ego, not our aspirations. So if you want to be great, Jesus said, pay attention. If you're in this room and there's something inside of you that says, my life should count. I want my life to count. Listen to what Jesus says. Whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. So if you have the desire for greatness, you understand the power of servanthood because they are not mutually exclusive. They are intricately connected. And whoever wants to be first 
must be a slave, just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So whoever wants to be first, he says, well, we're not even allowed to say we want to be first. We have to pretend we want to be third or fourth. Now that I'm a Christian, I'm happy being last. Gag me. Are you kidding me? Come on, I need a little male support here. I don't want to be last. I'm not happy. Now, sadly, we've been raised to believe it's okay to be less than your best. So we put ourselves on platforms where we're first because we're the only person in the room. Yeah, see, we don't want to put ourselves in a room where we have to struggle and compete to be first. Jesus said, if you want to be first, yes, Jesus. In case you're wondering, Jesus, yes. See, Jesus didn't come in second. He came in first. Jesus, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I want to be the savior of the world. Okay, but I don't think there's a degree for that. Well, what do you want to accomplish? I want to seek and save that which was lost. See, Jesus didn't come to be second. He came to be first. So he became the greatest servant who ever lived because he had the greatest mission that had ever been lived out. In Mark chapter 9, verse 33, the disciples are arguing among themselves who was the greatest. This is before Muhammad Ali. He had nothing on these 12. They're advocating for their own greatness. Have you ever noticed if you tell somebody, you're the man, you're the greatest, they never argue. They only argue when you claim greatness for yourself. Then Jesus sat down beneath them and said, if anybody wants to be first, he must be last. So if Jesus wanted to kill our drive for greatness, this would have been the moment. But he didn't. He only redirected it. He said, if you want to be great, if you want to be first, then take that drive for greatness and channel it to be the greatest servant of all. He says, become like me. Now, if you go to the edge of servanthood, you'll find yourself standing on the brink of greatness. See, we think if we come to faith, we need to abdicate our pursuit of greatness. If you're an author and you write books and your book comes in for the year 12th as the most popular book, 12th popular, if you think, you'd think, baby, I need to publish my book when bad writers are publishing. Because if I'm going to be the best, I need everybody else to be a little worse. That's the typical thinking. So we've somehow come to believe that if God's involved, he's okay with bad. He's okay with average. He's comfortable with just gotten by. Well, I'm hanging in there. Well, I'm okay. See, listen to one of the most competitive people in the Bible. Got to be David. It's hard to talk about David without saying King David. But before he was king, he was warrior David. And before he was warrior David, he was shepherd David. And when a king was to be chosen from David's brothers, he wasn't even considered. And some of you in this room are probably someone no one sees. No one believes there's greatness inside of you. And because they don't believe, you've stopped believing there's any greatness inside of you. And David's job was to deliver cheese to his brothers. Now, they're out there facing Goliath, right? And nobody would fight him. And David's thinking, 
hey, I am a king. I'm anointed to be king. I'm a warrior. No, David, you're just a cheese delivery boy. Ever feel like people have underestimated you? I think it gives you an edge. Honestly, I do. Maybe the reason people can't see you is that you don't see yourself clearly yet. So David comes to the battlefield and volunteers to fight the giant. 1 Samuel chapter 17, 33 says, Saul said to David, you're not going out against this Philistine. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant. Oh, listen to that. Not your king, not your warrior, but your servant. And there's a job that needs to be done by somebody willing to die. 1 Samuel 17, verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he'll deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. That doesn't sound like a guy that's going to come in last to me, right? And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I love that. The Lord be with you because we will not. Yeah. See, you hear what David is saying over and over? Your servant, your servant. David isn't comparing himself to the other shepherds. They would have said after a lion took a sheep, well, it ain't my sheep. Or, well, that's just the cost of doing business. Or, I'm not going to get killed by a lion. He can have the sheep. And nobody was watching. So who are you when nobody's watching you? What kind of an employee are you when no one is watching? And a bear grabbed a sheep. I killed him, David said, because that's what shepherds do where I'm from. See, when David was killing a lion and a bear, he had no idea he was learning what he needed to know to be able to kill a giant. He was faithful where he was. He was in a pretty crummy place, but the dude's anointed to be a king. He's already a warrior, but he's a shepherd. He is a servant, your servant, your servant. Because he was a servant, and when he was a shepherd, he became a servant. And when he was a warrior, he was a servant. And when he became a king, he was a servant. See, whether you build a great business or you become a sports celebrity or whatever, you don't want to lose the fact you're still there to serve the kingdom. You're a servant. But you can be all these other things and be ambitious. So we wonder why no one sees the king and the warrior and the shepherd in us because we haven't yet become servants. You want to be first? Be servant of all. So nobody saw David kill a lion and a bear but God. I think, I think if I kill that lion, I'd skin him. I'd be wearing that skin the next day, and I'd have my lion hoodie up. I wouldn't say anything. I'm too humble for that. I'd just wait till somebody asked me where I got it. You know, <laughs> well, he tried to take my daddy's sheep, and he didn't know I'm David, so I'm wearing him now. So David was setting a new standard on what it meant to be a shepherd. He set a new standard on what it meant to be a warrior, and he set a new standard on what it meant to be a king. Because when you choose to become a servant, the sky becomes the limit. 
In 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all run, but only one gets the prize? He's asking, don't you know that? There was a time when everybody got a prize for participation. We are killing our kids. Everybody gets a prize. Nobody loses. Wait till you get a job. You'll find out. Yeah, people lose. And you don't get an award for just showing up to do your job, right? And people get devastated because as an adult, nobody gets a trophy for just showing up. You got to win. You got to compete because you actually have to do something that distinguishes you from everybody else. So Paul says only one gets the prize. So run in a way to win to get the prize. See, some of us think competition, ambition is not a good thing. Paul says run in such a way to get the prize. That's Bible, run to win. He doesn't say just be happy, you get to run. Now, I, I like Nike, I wear some of their clothes. I saw a jacket that said, everyone's an athlete. Like, if you have a body, you're an athlete? I don't think so. Don't you love those slogans that you know are not true at all? You have to choose to be an athlete. Just because you're in the room doesn't mean you're making any difference. You have to choose to make a difference. You have to decide to live for more than the average person around you. He says, run in such a way to win, to get the prize. Stop acting like it doesn't matter. Stop being satisfied with average. Stop thinking it's cool to bring up the rear and run. And when you're tired and you're winded and you realize, I don't feel like I can go any further, he's then get up and discipline yourself and do the hard work that will allow greatness to emerge from your life. You can't be the best at anything if you're not willing to bear the pain of greatness. And sadly, Christianity has become associated with average. Run in such a way to get the prize. You know, church is safe, it's comfortable, it's pretty, there's no danger in it. No wonder men don't want to go to church. We like adventure. We like risk. We are a little bit, a little bit of terror in it to stimulate a little uh, blood flow, and put a little adrenaline in there. Men like that. And churches just become sweet, nice, and comfortable. Nobody kills anybody. Nothing going on. Don't have to worry about anything. Nobody steals a car. Nothing. You know, I'm saying it's just, it just does not have a lot of appeal. It's become feminized in general. So Paul says those who compete go into strict training. Now, a lot of people avoid strict training and still think they're going to win. Ain't going to happen. He says the world does it to obtain a crown that will not last. Okay, now we can be spiritually condescending. Oh, look at all that effort by her. Oh, look at all that effort by him. And it's all going to burn. You can't take it with you. That's what we say. And we use those quotes to justify our apathy and lack of ambition. See, they're doing it for a crown that won't last. And we aren't doing it at all. Paul goes on to say, but we do it for a crown that will last forever. So they do it for a crown that won't last, but where are the we that do it for a crown that will last forever? So we love to put down those who aspire to do great things. And that, uh, we wish we could achieve it. I mean, 
I think church ought to be the most creative place in the world if the Holy Spirit actually is welcome to give you an idea, some inspirational idea, where we could be Elon Musk or you could be Jeff Bezos in a garage selling books to become multi-billionaires or whatever. Why can't the kingdom have that? Because somehow when we get saved, we get, we get spiritually castrated and we're not supposed to be ambitious. We're just supposed to be nice and be, be good losers. No, nah, it ain't going to happen. No, no, it should never happen. And if it already happened to you, make sure it doesn't happen to your children or to your grandchildren if you're older. You want them to win. You don't want them to, to compare, but you want them to be the best they can be. You go after it. You give it all you've got. See, they do it for a crown that won't last, but we do it one for, that lasts forever. And we are supposed to have more ambition than a guy without God. If a person doesn't know God and he aspires to be the greatest teacher in the world, you should aspire even more. Stop being uncomfortable with ambition. It's good. Listen to Paul in Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself. So be the best you are determined determined to be to serve the world the best you can. Make your life the greatest gift the world has ever known. There are gifts and talents inside of you world needs. Stop giving the world less than God gave you. Owe it to yourself to set the standard of the best. Nobody in the church should ever wonder if it's wrong to be ambitious or competitive. If you, let's, let's make it really simple. Let's say you have stage four cancer and you've got to have surgery. Do you want your doctor to be a guy who just goes by protocol and you're just another piece of meat and if it works, good, and if it doesn't work, good? And Because doctors, pilots, uh, specialists can graduate last in their class and still work on you. They, okay, they're not, uh, even in pilot training, I learned that. There are guys I would never get in an airplane with, yet they got their license, okay? They graduated last. And, and I'm thinking, if I had a doctor working on me, I want that sucker to be the most competitive and the most ambitious. I want him to come into that surgery saying, you haven't defeated me yet, and I'm going to defeat you. And I'm going to use wisdom I've learned from med school. I'm going to learn what didn't work med school taught me in procedures. And I've read and learned about other things in Europe, and I'm going to attack this cancer and kill it, or I'm going to be the most unhappy doctor in the world. I want him working on me. Okay, I'm, I hope you. Well, do you know a Christian surgeon? No, do you know a best surgeon? <laughs> or do you know a Christian attorney? No, I want a badass attorney. I don't care if he worships Muhammad. I know the Bible. I want him to know law. I want him to take me safely through a, 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 a legal matter. Does that make sense? Yeah, it doesn't make you best because you put a fish emblem on whatever your career is. A Christian mechanic. How about one that's a great mechanic? You might have to pay a little more for the surgeon or the lawyer, but you've got the best chance to win. Well, why wouldn't God want you to be that way? You ought to be the ace. You ought to be the man. You shouldn't settle just because you're making what daddy made. Make more than daddy made. Have a better life. 
I, I know some of my friends in here, uh, I, I can use Tony Warren because we're close friends, but out of his family, he said, I'm not going to live in this poverty that I came out of. I'm going to live a better life. I'm going to use my skill, my ability to create business, to create passive income from different areas, and he did. And he moved out of that poverty. Now all the family wants his, wants his benefits for them, but they didn't want to pay the price of greatness that he did. So he's now able to have a good life, to sow largely into the kingdom of God and help expand it as a servant. He, it, whether we need something, he'll show up and be there, right? Well, that's being a servant. It's not about your career. You don't have to be in the ministry, but you're in the kingdom and you want to help people have a good life. Whether it's by money or time or talent, we want to use the best we have to advance the kingdom. And you're going to benefit from them. When I had rotator cuff surgery, Dr. Christopher Phelps did it. That's the only surgery I had. And I said, what is the protocol for recovery from, a, from rotator cuff? He said, well, a minimum of eight weeks. Eight weeks. I could learn to fly the space shuttle in eight weeks. I said, it isn't. I said, I'm looking at your waiting room out there. Everybody out there is gray-haired, feeble, old, and they have canes. And I said, back then I was 70 years old. I said, look at me, doc. I am not going to fit your protocol. And I am not going to be under uh, physical therapy and no driving for eight weeks. On my watch, it won't happen. I was ready in five weeks, according to the physical therapist, but they did let me go at six weeks. And I told Phelps, I told you, I told you, I wouldn't fit your dumb protocol. So if I have to go see a doctor, I always say, I'm not going to fit your protocol. And I will question everything you are planning to do. And I will Google it and read so I know what is the best way to do. Right? I don't want to lose. I want to win. And I want to be with guys who want to win who come to help me, whether it's fixing something or it's medical or whatever it is. I want, I want to be the best. So you've got, I want you uncomfortable with average. Get by. I'm hanging in there. Bump along. That is not the will of God. That might be a short season in your life, but your ambition wants you out of it. And you'll pay the price. You'll work two jobs. You'll do whatever you have to do. You'll cut off expenses that are not necessary. You will shorten yourself to achieve a long-range goal. You'll do it. You'll pay the price. That's ambition. All Paul says is do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, by the way, do you ever say to somebody, be careful, don't be too ambitious? We say that because we don't think that ambition is a virtue. Okay, let me reverse it. Uh, you never say, be careful, Rick, don't be too loving, hold back a little, or don't be too wise, Rick, got to be a little stupid, <laughs> or don't be too generous. Yeah, you'll never hear that at Summit. Don't be too generous. Never, never. See, you also won't hear, don't be too ambitious here. No, get up in the morning with a fire and a passion to make a difference in the world. Stop settling for average. It's selfish ambition that's the problem. But ambition is a virtue, and you can only corrupt a virtue. And we don't see or have been taught that ambition is a virtue. And the moment you decide to elevate to your greatness, you will not be applauded by the people around you who have chosen to settle for mediocrity. 
Some will despise you for trying to pull them out of average. Wouldn't it be a great thing if you decided to live your life ambitiously? God, do more in me so I can serve more, so I can help more, so I can make a bigger difference. Maybe you feel called to be a king, but the job you have now is beneath you. You feel it's too small for you. But listen, if you'll kill the lions and bears in that job, God promises to move you to the front line to fight giants. If you'll face the challenges in front of you right where you are, God will put his hand on your life and use you to set people free. So I want for us at Summit to hate to lose and to fight for the prize. Jesus did not come in second. He gave his life so we could all live. His greatest sacrifice made him the greatest who has ever lived. And I want all of us to live up to the greatness God's put in us. Let's pray. Just bow your head. If you're here this morning and you're tired of fighting and struggling with a battle of life all by yourself, if you know there's something inside of you just waiting to come to life, know that it will never be awakened without God. He fought for you. He made you. He knows you. He loves you. And this morning, why don't you step into that? If you're here and you're ready to cross the line of faith and give your life to Jesus, if you're ready to receive his forgiveness, his love, his help and wisdom, pray this simple prayer right where you are. Just say, Jesus, this morning I give you my life. Just tell him that. That's the starting point. And if you give him your life, he gives you his life. That's your prayer. Then just do that. Nobody will embarrass you. Nobody will bother you or come to you. And some of you have accepted Jesus, the majority of you, but you're drowning in status quo. But this morning, you're willing to pursue any greatness God's put in you. And you would say, I'm done with status quo. I'm done with mediocrity. I'm willing, with God's help, to make the decisions for God to unlock the greatness he put in me. Slip a hand up if that's you this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you bless these men today? Would you inspire them in their heart, soul, and spirit to use that ambition as a virtue to build a great life that will bless other lives and bring great honor and value to your kingdom? May we rid ourselves of any thinking that average and status quo and mediocrity is somehow pleasing in your sight. Help us achieve at least the full potential of greatness you've put in each of us. And may we refuse to bow down to mediocrity's second best or having a bigger and better life, whether it's with our time, our talent, or our money, so we can advance the kingdom for your glory. And for our benefit, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted amen and amen. God bless you, men. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.